It's that moment when you say data is important, and it's not about managing the data, it's not about controlling it, it's not about the cost. Those are necessary, but it's about unlocking the data. It's about tapping into the potential of data. It's about asking questions about what other data do we not have that we should have. Data, artificial intelligence, the metaverse, crypto and Web three and quantum computing are just a few of the technology innovations that are changing the way we live, work, and experience the universe. I am your host, Ganesh Padmanabhan, and this is Stories in AI, a podcast where we explore the various facets of technologies like AI, its impact on individuals, organizations, and the society. You will hear from a variety of experts and practitioners, their personal stories, their best practices, and advice to put technology to work. I hope you enjoy this engaging conversations. Now, before we begin, a note about our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Experian, whom you may know as the Consumer Credit Bureau, but they are at heart a data company. When you're buying a car or home, sending your kids to college, or borrowing to grow your business, Experian is most likely helping you behind the scenes. They unlock the power of data to make better decisions, get access to financial services, and to prevent crime, unlocking a whole world of opportunities for individuals and organizations. Find out more at Experian.com. All right, Brad. So a lot of things have changed since the last time we spoke, right? And yes. uh, would love to actually uh, dive a lot deeper today on talking about what does it really mean to be truly data-driven organizations and companies. You've been spending a lot of time there. Um, so what what is what is top of mind for you these days? Number one. Number two. What is what is holding back, and what is what does it really mean for companies to be truly data-driven enterprises today? So the two questions are connected. And what, what it spends, I spent a lot of time focused on is digital transformation is now pivoted to a point of being a set of practical steps companies are doing to become more digital. It's no longer the vague concept of just be digital. It's much more specific and discreet. How do I improve my supply chain? How do I get parts shipped to people better? How do I better understand customers or retain employees? All of those are extremely data-driven activities. And so what I spend most of my time on is helping companies to understand one, how data can enable better insights, better decisions, better outcomes, um, how to make that data available to the enterprise, how to improve the culture of being data-driven, data literacy within the enterprise, how to build a, uh, an environment of trust in data. These are all really hard things to do. They're, they're a technical issue, but they're also a human issue. And that makes them incredibly difficult because people who are good at one are not always good at both. That's awesome. No, Brett, I think a few things, right? One is uh, it's always a human issue. It's never a technology issue, as you, we all know in technology forever. Uh, second, I think you, you interestingly you pointed out saying we're moving from that vague concept of digital transformation and digitization and you know transformation in general to more discrete and and you know let's go let's go specific and solve specific problems that drives that thing right. And if you look right. at the history of any innovative technology, any disruptive technologies, it always goes through that flow of, you know, you, you go into the hype cycle, then you get down to the, you know, a lot of disappointments because you overpromised and you couldn't deliver. Now you're like, okay, let's not try to do that. Let's just, just break it down and say, solve a problem in front of us that makes a big difference with this new technology, right? So that's where we are. So, so is this, 
you know, this was always supposed to happen, but just you think the last two years just accelerated the transition from that vagueness to more specificity? Oh, there's no question. I think, you know, anytime you have something that has such a huge economic impact on the world, it forces people to step back and focus on what matters most. You can't do, you can't just go invest on a two or three year digital journey and then pop up three years later and be done. Suddenly it became a crisis because the shelves were empty. You know, prices were spiking. People were hard, skills and people were hard to find and retain. The issues became really real. And what people found was the people, the companies that had access to their data, who understood the data Mm -hmm. of their business, they responded better during the pandemic. They were the first to figure out what was happening with their customers and customer behavior. They could see signals in their supply chain earlier than others. And sometimes a day, a week, an hour, any, any advantage in seeing things sooner was a significant competitive advantage in a time of great chaos. And that's what we experienced. Greater volatility meant the companies who could see a little bit further ahead could smooth out the volatility, reduce the, reduce the increase in costs, improve the access to revenue just a little bit faster than their competition. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, you know, do you also think that like, but isn't the early part, not the vagueness, but more of the strategy side where you're actually trying to put a foundation in place for data, for AI, talent, you know, organizational things. Don't you think that is still relevant to do before oh, you yeah. get into solving specific problems? Yeah, I think what's changed, though, is you, no one's going to go spend two years to build an enterprise data strategy. They're going to define a data strategy, but they're going to build it with bricks that each deliver value along the way. And then when you're done, you have a house. But the idea of just going off and building a house and then popping up and seeing if it was the right house is the wrong way of working. People are, companies are much more agile. They're more focused on having an umbrella vision, but then filling in as they go. And the nice part about that is because the technology is changing so rapidly and there's so much innovation in the data analytics and AI space, if you build it all and then pop up and see if it was perfect, it's already wrong. Instead, if you create a larger set of principles, architectural design points, key objectives in a strategy, and you fill it in over time, you also get the advantage of getting the latest technology and the latest approaches and the best practices as you go, rather than having to know them two years in advance. That's interesting. You know, it's almost saying like uh, form follows function, right? So it's basically you're, you're trying to build for the function first. And then making sure that the form is actually the right way. So have start with guardrails, you know, start with you know these you know uh, your your experiments or hypotheses and theses and stuff, but focus on the outcome first rather than trying to build a foundation and then go try to chase the outcomes. The which was, yeah. you know, five six years ago, that was the way of doing AI. Every company was doing that. Right? Yeah, um, I think you know I, I've noticed a substantial amount of frustration from a lot of our clients who are being approached by technology providers who are pushing technology on them, another upgrade cycle, another version of this or migrate to that. And they're fatigued by all that. And they're really, and they're asking better questions now. What are my, and, and the way we look at this, what are the business outcomes? What are the KPIs you need to move? What are the things that will enable that the most? And then what technology is appropriate to do that? It's not the other way around. And I know that sounds obvious. It should never have been tech mm-hmm. first, but there are periods of time where the technology push does become really strong and people jump on for fear of missing out on technology. And then quickly you realize, oh my God, I just built a giant data lake, but I didn't know what to do with it. And Hmm. instead focus on the data that matters by knowing your business first, then knowing the data that matters, bring that data to the people and then allow innovation on the data. 
You know, it's it's funny, and I it being in the being in tech and the tech industry for the mm-hmm. last couple of decades at least, right? You, you see these cycles, the cycle where it's all all about the platform for a long time, mm-hmm. and then it's all about the apps, right? Mm-hmm. So, and then you know, it, it kind of go back and forth. Not that one is doesn't obfuscate the other. You need right. both, right? right. But where the market is, what you're saying is more like they're looking for the apps to be pulled in on top of the platform, right? Yes. And the platform choices are there. They're evolving as we go through it. But focusing on the app is the big thing. Um, what, you know, give me some specific examples, if you don't mind, of organizations that have figured this out and, and doing it the right way. I mean, wh- how, what are those signatures in those organizations? What do you see there when you talk to them uh, versus the ones they don't? So. It sounds obvious from your first question, but one of them is the presence of a chief digital data officer, sorry, the chief data officer, Mm -hmm. or a recognition of that role for someone who already exists within the enterprise. It's that moment when you say data is important and it's not about managing the data, it's not about controlling it, it's not about the cost. Those are necessary, but it's about unlocking the data. It's about tapping into the potential of data. It's about asking questions about what other data do we not have that we should have. Once you have somebody who self-identifies in that role, whether they give themselves the title, whether they get assigned that role, however it happens, it's a moment that's reflective of the maturity of the business because suddenly it is not a techie problem to go manage the data. It's a business issue on how to unlock the data. And what I see is what chief data officers, when they identify that way, they begin focusing on the really big questions. What are the business drivers? What's a federated model in my business to allow innovation to happen in the business? Don't all control it centrally. They start asking about data literacy. They talk about data governance. They think about external data. All of those are the themes that every day chief data officers think about. And I was reading an article this morning, a chief data officer for a a state government. And he was writing, he said, I wake up every day with a million ideas, a million ways that data could change what we do. That's what a chief data officer does. They're not trying to lock it down. They're trying to unlock it and think about all the things it could do. Yeah, you know, it's it's uh, it's fascinating. And, and this has been a hot debate or discussion, you know, on the show with a lot of guests as well, which is like, how do you balance the two, right? Because initial, uh, you know, evolution of the data officer was like, hey, we need someone to wake up like this and think about every day waking up thinking, how do you really unlock the data? But even everybody who started off in that journey turned out to be the custodian of the data. I'm like, hey, we found that one guy or gal who will just who we can point fingers to who's going to own the data. Because, I mean, if you think about it, if you're working in a regulated industry like financial services, healthcare and stuff, most chief data officers are really having to deal with your basic things like your GRC, governance, risk controls, the day, you know, making sure you don't get sued and all that kind of stuff. Uh, even before they can actually start thinking about it. So is that a, my, my question is, um, is, has it, is that changing to more, you'll see more of them actually saying, we want to get empowered to unlock the data as your primary responsibility, or is it always going to be, you got to play both the balls and juggle the two and say, I want to make sure that I'm the custodian in chief for data for this organization. It's the most valuable asset. I also yeah. have to unlock and make this asset on returns, right? So if, if you only look at it from the controls point of view, you've missed the entire game. And the point is that the data yeah. has tremendous meaning and the data only exists when it's activated in decisions that drive better business outcomes. So if I have all mm-hmm. the data and I control all the data and I never get sued and I never get hacked and nobody ever accesses data they shouldn't access, they probably also got no value from it. 
Now that doesn't mean it has to be, you know, insecure to get value. So there are ways to scale data with controls, with governance, with trust, mm -hmm. but also put it in the hands of people who will innovate with that data and do something with it. One of the companies I'm working with is a very industrial company. They weren't the first on cloud, but they've jumped in and they've made data accessible to their users through a self-service platform. The first thing users did was they created additional data sets based on their insights from their part of the business. And they started sharing those data sets with other parts of the business. Now, on one level, that's awesome. It means that the innovation with data was happening in the business, not in IT. Um, yep. It meant they had a, an environment in which to share, but they didn't consider that when I create a data set about pricing or supply or something, and then other people make decisions from it, there's actually a great responsibility that goes with that. So they made it so easy that anybody could publish anything and the data was incomplete or incorrect. And then you're making important decisions on it. So they started to think of the circles of trust of data. There's core data, which is your enterprise, mm. you know, heart and soul must be absolutely regulatory, you know, ready. There's another set of data, which needs to be really good, clear, have clear lineage, have clear ownership. You have to trust it. And from that derivative decisions will be made. And then there's just departmental data you share all the time. And once they started to recognize there were circles of trust, they began to put in roles that would allow apply the right level of governance to those things. So I, I feel mm. better about um, the fact that companies are beginning to realize that this data comes with a responsibility for trust, and that's not a bad thing. But also, it's not IT's job to do all that work. The business can play a role in data governance and ensuring data is great and trusted. Yeah, no, with with great data comes great responsibility. Yeah. The data Spider-Man said that, right? So, no, it's, it's actually amazing. Every day. I think of that all the time and it, it's hard not to say it sometimes. <laughs> no, I, you know, it's it's funny. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's actually amazing what you're calling out, right? And I love the approach that you make, but I got a few things that I want to, you know, get a little bit deeper on, right? One is... Uh, you mentioned the whole access of sharing that data with the business, right? Making sure that it's not just a custodian thing. You're unlocking the data for people to use and derive value from it, right? Yeah. Why is that important? And I think I, you know, I, there, there, there is a there is a nuance here because I want to draw a paddle on just even AI center of uh, excellence as COEs for AI, right? Yeah. They are all getting disaggregated and saying because like they put a 50 engineers and a bunch of product managers in there and they have launched two products and. Uh, data products in production in the last four years. And they're realizing that this is probably not the way you should actually operate this. Mm -hmm. And you talked about the federated model. So talk a little bit more about it. Explore that for me. So the, the unique part about data is that the value is derived for the people who actually understand what it means, not the people who understand how to manage it. So when it's I the context. It's yeah. the context. Context is everything with data. So some people are really expert, for example, in customer data. They might understand customer behavior, like what things they looked at, what they clicked on and what mm -hmm. they did. And they, they understand the experience data of somebody on the website really, really well. If they also understand the products that they look at, now when they notice that people who buy this buy that, they'll understand that those products actually have some affinity. You can look at it from the data, but if you also understand the products and the web experience, you'll do it even better. The IT team is looking at the data as data. But once you understand the products, the web experience, whatever the context is, you start to see things that are magical. And I think you, you'll know this, if you can feel this when this happens, because you get two people together at a party. One person knows about mm -hmm. one industry, another person knows about another industry. They start talking and they realize the combined insights are incredibly powerful. 
And, you know, sometimes amazing things come from that. So it's the com combination of data, the combination of context and data, the people who are closest to it, who see the best things. And from that, they can innovate with the data and then further share it and create. No, that's awesome. And, and, and so, right. I think, you know, I, I especially, and I've been um, playing a lot with unstructured data or mm -hmm. and dark data for the last year now. And uh, one of the things we are realizing is especially where human language is involved, like NLP models will understand uh, if you're looking at a doctor's note and it says fever uh, or it says 100 degree Fahrenheit or 100 F, um, um, uh, and that's just the statement in there. The algorithm just understands that it's actually 100 degree Fahrenheit at best, right? Right. But to know that that was a surface temperature taken on the forehead, which also is a diagnosis of a fever, a low-grade fever, is a human context that is never put in the notes because the people who is who are who are working with that data already have that context in their head. Yeah. So they can easily, you know, very effortlessly do it, right? So, but but you know, that is the in general, you you uh, calling that out that. Con data with context and especially subject matter expertise plays a, a really big role. Yeah. I mean, data without context is just a bunch of ones and zeros. Like you literally don't know what it means. Yeah. I was thinking a lot during the pandemic that all the stores that sell fever and cough suppressant probably saw spikes in their city before people were diagnosed with COVID. There was no way that were yeah. people weren't buying fever suppressant, cough suppressant because they were treating symptoms before they were diagnosed. Think of the early indicators that exist everywhere if you had the context to know that there might be a pandemic and I'm noticing people buying these things and those things happen to be indicative of the symptoms. So it, that context could be everything. That store manager probably just noticed people buying a lot more you know, Tylenol. They didn't realize that buying that might be a sign of something else happening in their community. Yeah, well, they're, because they're not an ep epidemiologist, right? So they don't understand a, a disease that is spreading in the yeah. community. It's pretty fascinating, this whole notion of doing that. So, so to your point on the model is a federated model that you're seeing that's going to work where you have to, and I love, I really love the, the way you describe the circles of trust in there. You call it circles of trust of data, right? Yes. Uh, explore that for me a little bit more. So there's the enterprise layer, which is core data to the enterprise, very valuable, more focused on custodianship than innovation probably. Yeah. Right. Um, we'll take, and a, then there is the, in that like inside there, you'll have ERP data, you have master data, you know, golden records about customers and products and bill of materials. Those are things which one, they can be either right or wrong. So they have a certain binary state to them. Um, mm -hmm. This is either the bill of materials, it's either correct or it's incorrect. It may be versioned mm -hmm. and changed, but at a moment in time, it was a certain thing. If you're a customer and I'm a customer at the same company, we each have a unique customer ID, that's in the master data record. That's right or wrong. But you happen to like red, I happen to like green, tomorrow I might like blue, those are not as binary. So understanding preferences of customers is a different type of data than that core system of record data that runs your business. So once you start layering in additional data, which is insights that you might gather from things like the unstructured data from customer service or buying patterns on the web, um, or even uh, things coming off of your mobile app or whatever, any of these activities, social input, those are more derived data. They, they're not right or wrong. They're just things you collect and you can infer stuff from that. You still want to make sure that you know where it came from. Is the source trusted? If you can, can you mm -hmm. correlate it back to a customer ID? That's better than just having it not connected. So that's like another level of trust. Then you also have external data you might acquire, data you might buy and bring into the enterprise.
How trusted is that? How correct is it? Is it complete? Some people will just look at the data and say, yeah, it should be a number between one and 100. It's a number between one and 100, so it's right. But the yep. real question is, is it even close to right? Or is it just a number that happened to fall between one and 100? So as you look at the types of data coming in, you have to look at the degree of correctness it has to be, um, you know, what kind of validation you need. Is it binary? Is it a right or wrong thing? Or is it really you know, subjective or at least something that you know, can be in, you know, variable over time? And you got to look at all those and decide what sort of governance is appropriate for that type of data. It's it's somewhat awesome. nuanced. That's, it's it's a it's a much more complex thing than I think people thought it was. It's very nuanced. I think you know it's it's extremely nuanced. And 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 there's a lot of uh, you you take this the strategic approach and how you described it. Then if you think through the tech stack that is evolving, right? Instead okay. of like you know your you have you know data lakes to lake houses to now data meshes, right? Where you have the ownership and data as a product mindset across the entire organization to uh, data catalogs that allows you to actually start sharing data and insights about the data and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so it, it, but you have to understand this context of how, what does it take to go, go put this strategy in place to drive that you know, democratization of the access of data, but in a way that you're actually expanding the, the circles of trust of data and making sure that you, know, you're, you have the right governance in place, you have the right... Uh, uh, um, access, um, I would say, um, typographics in place, if you will, right? So yeah. fascinating. Um, one one point you made earlier was data literacy, right? So mm -hmm. today, what this model by definition also talks about is people whose day jobs are not data analysts are going to deal with that data. So how do you think about data literacy for that organization, right? I mean, what is data literacy uh, for an organization like this? Is it everybody should have a basic understanding of what it is, or is it, you know, everybody needs to know everything, you know, yeah. explore that for I've seen people advocate for the idea that everyone is going to be a data scientist, and I don't agree with that at all. There are people who have a natural affinity for really, really deep data science, and it's always a small set of the population. But to, to be data literate means to understand how to use data correctly and incorrectly. It means understanding some of the com common bias and mistakes that occur in data. Um, yep. but the simplest one we all talk about in this field is co uh, correlation versus causation. You know, mm. it, it, there's, you can't do, you know, anything with correlation other than just guess at that point, whether the next thing is also going to be correlated. Understanding causal relationships means knowing which data actually has an effect on an output. Now, I don't expect everyone in the enterprise to know that, but they should know that it's a risk. They should ask the right questions. How do you know that when this happens, that will happen? How do you know mm -hmm. that? So when people come to a meeting and they say, well, you know, four people bought this, so 4,000 people are going to buy it tomorrow. Is that a proper extrapolation from the data? Do you even know why those four people bought it? What is it just correlated, yeah. you know, to the time of day or was it, or is there actually a larger thing going on? I think that data literacy is going to come from just having better practices around understanding the types of questions to ask, you know, understanding the way that data works, its strengths and its weaknesses, the way bias gets introduced into, de into decisions, um, whether extrapolation is meaningful or just a line drawn through data points, um, uh, knowing what a statistical basis for a decision is, like two things happen, so therefore 200 things are going to happen. That's not statistically valid. Now, yeah. but it doesn't mean everyone has to be a data scientist. They just have to ask better questions. And I also think that leadership in businesses can do more to understand how to use data. People got, very, got where they are today 
on having really strong gut feelings and being able to look yeah. at a report and then just asking people a million questions. But the leaders of tomorrow expect all of us to come in, not with just a, the status is red, yellow, green, but to come in with a forecast, to come in with an understanding of root cause, to under, come in with predictions about where things are going. There's an expectation of a greater use of data. I was, I was in a meeting this morning and the team put up a big chart with all the numbers. They said, this is how many people are doing this. And I said, well, what does it mean? What's the story that data tells you? Does it tell you yeah. that people are doing a great job? Um, are five more people going to be quitting the team tomorrow or 20 people joining tomorrow? Will I be able to produce yeah. more a month from now than I can now? What decision should I make seeing all that data? I, real business leaders to, of tomorrow, the data-driven leaders, ask those kinds of questions. They want to know the story the data tells them, not just what the data is. Yeah, and, and it's actually very interesting. You know, the, 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 the broader paddle on this is when, you know, this is the, the story of AI as augmented intelligence, not just artificial intelligence, right? Wherein, when more of the math and the statistics can be done by the, the, uh, the algorithms and the systems that are in there, you have to now start focusing on how do you humanize, contextualize that data yeah. into stories, into explanations, into things that you don't really see just on the data by looking at it. But how do you really understand the why, the causality? So there's a whole, I would say, the, the you know, uh, you're exactly right. I think data-driven leadership demands its own coursework, if you will, for leaders to start understanding, as you said, how do you, how do you be more curious? How do you ask the right questions? And how do you really interrogate the data? Right. Uh, I wrote a blog on, um, you know, trust in AI systems. And one of the things I think it's becoming increasingly important is it's not just whether your decision I got, what were the data you used or give me the explanation or the evidence, but just being able to interrogate a system, just like you would do when you're hiring a, a junior uh, you know, engineer and then you're, they're asking, say, I finished this and here's the code and let me actually show you a demo. You start asking questions to know and then that makes them better. And it, it makes sure that it gets you get confidence that they've done the right way. I think the same applies to algorithms and uh, automated and semi-automated decision systems as well. I, I agree. Um, and I think one of the things that people expect is that the data will be perfect, clean, and complete. So therefore, the answer will be yeah, obvious and provable. When in reality, all data is messy. All data is incomplete. And the people who are really most data-driven know how to ask questions and figure out whether there's a logic to what's missing. Like... I was looking at some data this morning that is 50% incomplete, but it's consistently 50% incomplete, which means three weeks from now, it's going to still be that. So in a way you can correct for the error. You know, if your speedometer is always five miles per hour high, just adjust five miles per hour slower so you don't get a ticket. It's not, it's not that hard to do once you know that it's a consistent error. That's a data-driven mindset though, is to look for the consistency, look for the variations, look for the gaps, ask questions and figure out if the story holds together, even if the data isn't yeah. perfect. No, I think this this whole space of data driven leadership um, is, is is it's a it's a it's also another future conversation for us because I, I think this is going to be an evolving space, right? Yeah. You have a whole book, right? I mean, do you have a book coming on that? No, I don't. God, I wish I did. That would be a great way to to, to accidentally announce that. Right. No, but it, but the topic I, is so rich that it, it's worthy of of a lot of discussion. I think so too, and I was uh, I had um, 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 Professor Tom Davenport on the on the show the other day, I know Tom. and he's writing a book called um, um, All In on AI. It's 
coming out later this year. And he talked about a few things around this uh, aspect too, which is like, look, it is less about, data is less about technology and more about leadership right now. That's the evolution that mm-hmm. we're going towards. And this mm-hmm. is a very um, pivotal moment in, in, in history, right? Because I think we're, we're, we've established the fact that digital is the future or embracing digital is the future for any organization for survival and to thrive uh, to and data is the 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 most omnipresent resource in every interaction every area every space that you get into mm-hmm. i mean there's a whole bunch of explosion that's happening in like you know there's supernovas everywhere on data right so the only way you can actually come center yourself and be a, a successful leader and a successful organization is to bring in that principles of data-driven leadership yeah. uh, into your everyday life. Right? Could you imagine wanting to run a company and not do it on data? Like we're thinking about starting a business right now versus 20 years from now, 20 years ago. Would you want to start a business that you didn't know everything about your customers, your products, your supply chain, your inventory, your buildings? I mean, this idea of not knowing is actually scary. And yet for yeah. a long time, all you knew was the data of your business. That was it. You didn't know all that other stuff. Yeah, no, I think you know it's it's also the the abundance of data also gives you the ability to look at things that you didn't think was data before. Now you get you know clues to start poking into a certain direction versus not. Yeah. Brett, this was fascinating. Uh, let me ask you some fun questions. Sure. What are you reading right now? What are some resources you have for the audience? Um, so it's actually hard to have time to read books. However, there is so much going on in the news around data that I'm spending all the time reading reading your blogs and reading. Um, Things that Tom Davenport, as you mentioned, okay. others are writing about. I think it's it's a time of incredible innovation. So um, I, I just find it fun to see what's coming every single day in this space, what yeah. leaders are doing, how they're leveraging the technology, game-changing ideas. I, and look at the, the work around the metaverse and the intersection of the metaverse mm-hmm. and data. I think it's a massively interesting topic, one I spend a lot of time reading about and experiencing in the metaverse, because I think that once you go into a world that is entirely digital, you don't spend your time yes. talking about collecting data. You talk about understanding the data. So the entire world yep. in the metaverse is already digitized. It's all data. No, it's it's so it's fascinating that 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 space really excites me as well, right? In and, and and we're we're in that moment where we are cutting over right now, right? We will be spending and we are already spending more time digitally than physical interactions with people and stuff like that. So this is going to be the primary, and the physical is the augmented method of actually interacting and communicating yeah. and collaborating and so forth, right? So that's why the metaverse concept becomes all the more relevant for uh, any organization of the future. Brett, this was such a blast. I always enjoy uh, you know, listening to you and having this conversation with you. Uh, we should do this again, for sure, uh, later in the year or next year or so. But uh, you are my first guest who I've invited back into the show as well. So it's awesome. And, and I'm going to do more of that because there's so much, you know, in, even in the last conversation, uh, I remember there were so many areas that we left hanging. I wanted to go yeah. dive deeper into one of that was the CDO and the role of the CDO. We really explored that a lot today. Yes. Um, so, no, this is always awesome. Uh, one last thing. I think, you know, one thing I still clearly remember from our last conversation is how you have a system to curate news in the world of fake news, right? Go to the source, curate it, read you know, your, your information diet is actually extremely well-regulated. That's awesome. Yeah, um, I, and I, I want to go back and listen to the last conversation. Yeah. Yeah, I still do that. I love it. I think that uh, there's so much happening. I mentioned it. it's so dynamic. And I remember when I, was, when I was younger, I used to be so hungry for news. Now I'm overwhelmed by it. 
So I have to use, yeah. you know, search and stuff to kind of bundle it and, and coordinate it. And then I, I look when I can. It's amazing though. That, that is amazing. Brad, thanks so much for getting on the show. Always a pleasure. Talk to you soon, Ganesh. All right. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you did, I encourage you to do three things. Number one, share with your friends and family. If someone else can learn from this, get inspired and take action, they need to. Number two, subscribe so you do not miss a single episode. You can do it at your favorite podcast location or at youtube.com. Number three, let me know if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for me or my guests. And check out storiesinai.com to access show notes and more resources. Thank you for listening. See you next time.